Welcome back to Grassroots Marketing and our coverage of the 2023 NOCO Hemp Expo, which will be held at the Broadmoor in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And joining me right now is from the legal field based in Texas. Uh, he's a member of Weaver Johnston Nelson, which is a Texas law firm which focuses on healthcare law as well as corporate and general business law, emphasis on representing hospitals, surgery centers, freestanding emergency departments, physicians, dentists, and other healthcare providers. He'll be speaking on raising capital, mergers and acquisitions, and deal flow at NOCOHEP Expo coming up. And just to give you a heads up, that presentation will be held on Thursday, March 30th. And joining me right now is Richard Chang. Thanks for being on with us, Richard. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And my pleasure. So I want to go ahead and just get into the fact that you're focused in the practice. You focus on corporate transactions and advising clients on cannabis regulatory matters. You've been doing that for over a decade now. And you've represented the Texas Cannabis Industry Association as external general counsel, a board member for a hemp cannabinoid biopharmaceutical company, co-authoring multiple, pharma uh, multiple cannabis publications, and named a top 250 cannabis legal expert by Data Bird Research Journal. So, and also teaching at University of North Texas Dallas College of Law as an adjunct faculty member. Wow, you are filled to the brim with work, educating and helping people understand. Uh, so, with that said, in the Texas market, now without cannabis being legalized, as far as I know, very limited in a medical sense and nothing to an adult sense. Uh, talk to me just about where things are with the hemp industry in Texas in terms of uh, the amount of work you have to cover. Yeah, well, so th thank you. Uh, and that's a <laughs> that, that's a loaded question. But um, <laughs> before we get into it, uh, just a couple of points of clarification. Sure. Um, the law firm that I'm a partner at, um, we are a healthcare boutique law firm. Um, but the only other industry that we serve is cannabis. So that that is a very significant portion of the firm's practice. Uh, in fact, if you go to it, um, you'll see that cannabis and healthcare are the only two uh, industries that we serve. Um, as far as uh, teaching at UNT Law School, um, I am an adjunct faculty, um, and the course that I teach there is cannabis law. Um, to answer your question, uh, it's yeah, the Texas market is interesting, right? It's um, on the medical uh, medical cannabis side. Um, it started off uh, back in 2015 when uh, Senate Bill 339, I'm sorry, 337 was passed uh, by Greg Abbott in June of uh, June 1st, I believe. And every other year, we of course, Texas is uh, in a legislative session every odd year. And the most recent one, but prior to this year in 2021, it was um, the, the the program, which is called the Texas Compassion Use Program or TCUP. It was expanded to add uh, PTSD as a qualifying condition. And since that time, we've seen an uptick in the number of uh, individuals who's enrolled into that program. And that's uh, kind of the same idea where Florida initially, when they first got themselves inroads into medical cannabis, was with their uh, was when Rick Scott had signed for Charlotte's Web to be administered, and it only was very limited as to how many different uh, places it could be grown on top of that. So, mm -hmm. at this point, I know I've talked a little bit with uh, we've had a little bit of talk here on grassroots marketing about the Texas market. I can't even remember who it was. It's been a while back since we really talked about it. But at the moment, uh, 
what we've heard so far is that uh, it's still a bit complicated, according to how people are reporting uh, as in Texas, in terms of what's being allowed. And okay, but we'll, yeah, so, so, real quickly, go ahead and uh, I, well, I'll, I'll leave it up to you. Tell me where we are so far in terms of well, what is the expanse besides the compassionate program? You know, any other inroads at all? Anything the policymakers are giving us as any kind of leeway at this moment? Sure. Well, so let's let's make something very clear. Texas is a non-adult use state, so let's just take recreational slash adult use off the table. That's a non-issue. Um, the next tier down is what uh, what I already talked about is on the Texas the Texas uh, medical cannabis side, which is a state-sponsored program that's overseen by the Texas Department of Public Safety or DPS. And it is purely for medicinal purposes. And of course, physicians that are qualified to be part of this program, they enroll themselves and then as they see fit based on the qualifying conditions and based on their diagnosis and the, you know, the necessary supportive evidence to qualify individual uh, under the Texas Compassion Use Program, they will, the physicians themselves will enroll a, a patient into the program, thereby making them eligible to receive um, products that's produced by one of the two operational licensees in the state right now. Um, Texas is in, is in a very interesting situation right now that um, as of uh, January of this year, the application process actually reopened. And so right now um, it's anticipated that we're going to have over 160 to 170 applicants for um, a new round of the licensing that's in the deadlines coming up in April on April 28th. Um, some have said that it's anticipated it, the deadline could be extended to later on this year, but that's that hasn't been conclusive. Now that's on the oh, uh, let me make the point in here because I know just a couple of stories I can point out as to what policymakers have been trying to make so far in terms of inroads is they they did approve a bill last about a week ago as we record this, allowing doctors to recommend medical marijuana to the patients if they have a condition causing chronic pain that would otherwise be, be treated by prescription opioids. So mm -hmm. with the kind of opioid issue that's going across the border uh, from yeah, from you know, bad actors that are bringing it into the country, unfortunately through por portions of the border that they can go and enter into, plus uh, legislation is being represented about replacing the THC cap established under the state's existing limited medical cannabis law. So if it's cleared some committees, but no, nothing's been put to a vote as of yet. And the other bill that I've also seen is about allowing Texas physicians to prescribe medicinal cannabis. So that's the same thing as we said before. It's a HB 1805 authored by Rep Representative Stephanie Click of Tarrant mm -hmm. County. And so we're just waiting for state of uh, Department of State Health Services to identify medical conditions that would qualify patients. Now, as you said, one area is the Texas uh, is public safety. The other here is the Department of State Health Services. We don't have a cannabis control board in place. So is there any issues in terms of technicality or, you know, what kind of oversight or any guidance that either of these organizations might be able to give that are kind of out of their wheel well? You know, I think opioids, uh, the, the, anytime we we're talking about pain and opioids, it's a sensitive topic, right? And there hasn't been anything that's been conclusive on uh, all oversight in the state of Texas on how this uh, um, is going to be handled. I think there's a lot of proposals out there. There's obviously bills um, 
being filed uh, on, on a pretty consistent basis since we are in the legislative session this year, uh, being that it's 2023. Um, you know, I, I haven't really seen any particular guidance on how this is going to be handled specifically other than what's been filed. So I think for t- the Texas markets, it, it's really up in the air right now. Right. And then even marijuana decriminalization. Now, the House committee has also unanimously approved that, but still nothing put to a vote. No but in place. So that's, these are all wonderful right. things to see happening. But, uh, you know, it's that part. And I'm sure there's a lot of those that are looking to go ahead and start up shop in Texas. But unfortunately, they're seeing right now as well, where Oklahoma is looking to go and take part of that market away that could be allowed to go through. But at the moment, Texas will be one of those long holding. They're going to be the holdout might be the last holdout before all states are legalized. Well, yeah, it's funny because Texas is, um, I think it really is playing the long game, but sometimes that long game becomes too long. Texas is an interesting market, right? Is that you're looking at a state that being what the second most populated state in in the country, you have um, transients moving into Texas um, from California, Michigan, all over. And so the demographics have really changed over time. And in some of the big metropolitan areas, instead of it being, say, purely red, what you're looking at is some, the, the, you know, the Houstons, the, the Austins, the DFWs, they're starting to turn blue slash purple, right? And, and because right. of the political climate has shifted over time, and just, just simply because human nature has shifted in the in their lens perspective on how uh, canna- cannabis is viewed, that's also changed. So you have this massive state with all these different people that has a ton of potential. But at the same time, you're still holding on to this old Texas legacy attitude towards cannabis and how in the impacts of the war on drugs, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really kind of a dichotomy of the two of how, you know what's going to happen versus what's happening. Like you said earlier, you have this bill that's passed the House uh, or that's gotten through certain committees, but has it really been put to a vote? And even if it has been put to a vote, right. what is it going to look like through on the Senate side? And let's hypothetically say that even gets through that. You know, how is it going to be treated by uh, individuals like your Dan Patrick's or your Greg Abbott's of the world, particularly Dan Patrick, yeah. and which historically we've seen to be a major roadblock, right? In some of the bills that's been proposed in the past as it relates to cannabis. And actually, now I'm going to take from the Fort Worth Star Telegram. They've actually talked about recently about uh, the question was, can you bring legal weed back to Texas and from another state? So for those that want to even consume it within the state, uh, lines. The point is, is that it's illegal to possess uh, adult use regardless of where it was purchased. But if you purchase it while in Colorado, travel to Texas, you've broken the law. It's considered, if you cross state lines, it's considered contraband. But there are those that if you're bringing in medical cannabis that you can uh, bring it in, but it's just that um, you, anyone purchasing in Colorado, New York, have to be 21 years old and you must have a medical marijuana card. But then can you bring it back to Texas? Well, the word the the clarification is that only if you're not driving and don't have any products in your possession. Under Texas Penal Code Chapter 49, driving on intoxicated is not only limited, not only limited in alcohol, but drugs as well. And a DWI charge is a class B misdemeanor in Texas, carries up to a lot. Just the thing is, you can't even bring it in. Like it's there's such um, talk about a better border. 
for stopping cannabis than there is opioids. Opioids. Does that make even make sense? Yeah, I think I know where you're where, where you're going at with this. And let, let me let me provide some level of clarification. Please. So you have so for, for for attorneys that's been practicing this area um, for you know at least a good amount of time. And, and there's there's an ongoing joke that for every one year of uh, legal practice in the industry in the cannabis industry it's like a dog year it's like seven years because right. it changes so fast and you know I, i've been in this for about nine and a half almost 10 years now and so i've really seen it evolve over time one thing i've learned in this industry is that there's a constant um there's a constant conflict of laws issues and questions on state and federal law so just to be very clear regardless if it's adult use and or medical as long as a cannabis product or a plant or any type of um, consumer product, it, if it fails to meet the definition of the word hemp, it is federally illegal under the Federal Controlled Substances Act. So if you're taking medical cannabis across state lines, that is interstate commerce. That is a form of interstate commerce. And arguably, you can be charged federally to, to, for such as dr drug trafficking, right? And then that's on the federal level because it is a federal, a federally illegal contraband. And if you're crossing state lines, you can be charged. That has the potential to do that. Do, do we see it happening every day? All the time. You, 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 I know people who are going to Oklahoma and bringing it across the border. That's technically, if you want to be the legal definition of drug trafficking, that is a form of it. People who go to fly to Colorado, who pack their suitcases and fly back, that is a form of of a federal crime. People are obviously not getting getting arrested because of it, because quite frankly, it's a bandwidth issue and it's a priority issue on the federal government side. But we're seeing all these different state laws, such as the penal code that you cited to, and there are even some other state laws that have like interstate commerce law that says it's okay to do that pursuant to state law. All that really is saying is under state guidelines, under the attorney general of that state or whatever enforcement arm of that state, they will not prosecute. But it, but, but it doesn't necessarily prevent the federal government from pr prosecuting, if that makes any sense. Right. It's just a lot there. But now, when it comes to the areas that you want to go in, that you are focused on and the panel discussion you're, you're being featured on. I don't know if people are going to be able to hear this interview before you are on stage, but what can you tell me in terms of uh, what you're learning so far in the areas of, you know, of raising capital investment and for companies that are working mm -hmm. together. Now, is it, are you focusing on these areas outside of Texas and what can you tell me that you've already uh, worked on and uh, what you're looking to go ahead and present if you can give us some kind of a preview yeah sure that's um that part's the easy part right i mean because um the, the stuff that i'm presenting on whether it's raising capital or putting deal structures together that is uh that is primarily what i do uh both in healthcare and in cannabis but i actually start off my career um you know cutting my teeth doing corporate uh, mergers and acquisitions uh and you know, all the transactional work that's industry agnostic. It wasn't until a little bit later on that I started focusing almost strictly on healthcare and became a healthcare transactional regulatory attorney. And then, of course, in 13, developed um, a cannabis expertise by 
you know, by chance. And it was really by chance that I got this one call from an attorney in New York. And he said, hey, can you help out this client? They have questions about physicians prescribing versus recommending medical cannabis. And that's how I fell into it. But um, going into, you know, as far as my session is concerned, it's really talking about um, how companies should be aligned when they are considering a sale, um, how the considerations they should uh, they should think about um, if they're if they're uh, considering expanding their company, whether it's developing a new vertical or developing a new product line, and what does that capital raise look like? So, what are some of the legal or just financial co- considerations that investors are, are are looking at if they were to uh, do a capital injection of X amount? Um, and a lot of that is, is is information that I found that people in the cannabis industry they don't really think of, they don't really think about. And quite frankly, many many of the smaller operators they haven't really had anybody to educate them on it and how to go about it. Such as something as simple as building a pitch deck if you were to raise capital. Uh, what does that look like? What do you what you should be saying? What you shouldn't be saying? What what uh, you know? What are the investors looking for? Um, is is there a cultural alignment between the investors and the current operators? Lack of control, giving up control, all those different issues that people never really talk about in the in the cannabis industry. Wonderful. So again, you're going to be speaking on March 29th, and for those that might not have caught this, but that will have caught you uh, speaking on these various issues of raising capital M&A and deal flow. And for those that want to go ahead and communicate with you further, whether at the show or after the fact, well, let's go ahead and assume it's after the fact, uh, what's the best way to go and reach out to your team and to yourself? Yeah, sure. I can, I have an email, of course. Um, it's uh, R Chang. It's R C H E N G at Weaver Johnston. Uh, it's W E A V E R J O H N S T O N.com. I actually have a regular podcast that's specific to the cannabis industry. It, it's actually called the Sativa segment. It's another source of information that people can get if they were to say, um, you know, they, if they wanted to watch an episode on uh, uh, 280E and taxes, um, and I, I interview a CPA on on, on episode nine, or if wow. if they want wanted to learn more about the medical side, episode one interviews a physician and a hospice owner, how they incorporate medical marijuana into the palliative care. So um, that's my podcast called the Sativa segment. Okay. Yes. And let's make sure again, let's send people over to the show. It's again, the Sativa segment with Richard Y. Ching. And for people who want to find it, you can find it on all major platforms. I see it's on YouTube, uh, Spotify, uh, various other areas. Uh, all major podcast platforms have it. So, uh, and you already got a handful of, Episodes already set up, so we'll send people to that. And thank you so much for being on with us once again. Been joined by Richard Shane, who is member attorney at Weaver Johnston Nelson PLLC. Thanks for being on with us. Hey, thanks a lot for having me.